Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, everybody, we are back on the podcast. Welcome to it. It's great to have you all here again. This is episode number 21. Episode number 21 it is. Thank you for joining me. This is a a fantastic opportunity to have you folks here to study this material with me. Uh, Keeping the true history of the American uh, Revolution, the founding of the country, and all the things that led up to it, uh, within um, the 1774 time period that we're talking about right now, of course, uh, keeping all that alive, uh, just as John Adams and many others, John Jay, etc., would want us to do. Uh, they uh, they asked us to do that, and we are trying to fulfill that request each and every time we gather together on this podcast. And I thank you for that. And again, on behalf of the Founding Fathers, I'm sure they would thank you as well. I hope you enjoyed the previous episode of the podcast. This is going to be another feature-length episode. This might very well be the last feature-length episode on Thursday. I have fairly well decided that I simply have to do shorter episodes on Thursdays. I can't do feature-length episodes twice a week like I have been doing. Uh, frankly, the schedule is just uh, driving me absolutely bonkers. It's It was really supposed to be a weekend project at the end of the day, or you know, largely a weekend project. Maybe one of my weekdays would be spent doing this, because I do have a full-time job outside of this podcast. But I thought, you know, wow, just, you know, weekends, I'll sacrifice my weekends to do this podcast. Uh, but actually, it's turned into an almost every single day event. <laughs> I, I basically work on this podcast almost every single day of the week, uh, even on regular work days and all the rest of it. And it's just, uh, it's it's taking a toll at this point. But now that I've got a fairly good library of feature-length episodes, uh, what I think I'll do now is uh, do one feature-length episode a week. That would be the Monday episode. And then the Thursday episode will be a shorter episode, much like I had done a couple of times previous. And that'll be where we, uh, we talk about... Um, smaller topics uh, rather than going in-depth into the letters and, and covering multiple letters in a single episode and all the rest of it. So uh, I'll, I'll mix it up a little bit as far as what we do on those shorter episodes, but I'm, I'm fairly well decided at this point that it's just got to be that way. Uh, because again, this is, a, this is a one-man band. This is me on this podcast. I don't have any staff. Uh, it's just me. That's the way it's got to be. Uh, that's why I count on you folks to uh, help get the word out about the podcast. I simply uh, I don't have a lot of time to, to do the marketing aspect of it as much as I do the uh, the actual production, editing, research, and so on and so forth. And I thank you folks for that. You, I know some of you folks do a really good job of getting the word out about the podcast, I can tell, because the numbers keep growing. And uh, I know that's because some people just kind of stumble across the podcast, and sometimes it's uh, it's shared by you folks who already listen to the podcast. And that's that's awesome. I, I thank you for that. You're fantastic people. I really, I really uh, thoroughly appreciate you. I want to venture back to something that we talked about on the last episode before we get into the the, the actual substance of this episode. And that is uh, something that Mrs. Adams said about Sparta and whatnot. I, you know, I, I was thinking about this actually over the last few days in the context of the modern day. And, that, you know, part of what I try to do is I try to bring what the Founding Fathers were talking about in the 1770s and beyond, of course, 1780s all the way up into the 1800s. I try to bring what they were talking about back then into the modern times a little bit so that you can understand that these things are still a problem today. Uh, these these problems are not over. They didn't end with the Founding Fathers. They didn't solve the problem, and then we just kind of go on with our lives. Problem solved. Nothing more that we have to do. It doesn't quite work that way. And, uh, you know, when Mrs. Adams was talking about Sparta and the problems that were that were there, the problems didn't end with Sparta, and it didn't end with the Roman Empire later, and it didn't end with the, Amer- the American Founding Fathers. These problems persist. They crop up once in a while. They, they kind of come up periodically. As the as time you know drags on, uh, we we run into the same kinds of problems over and over again, and different populations of people and different generations handle it differently. And the founding fathers handled it one particular kind of way, and we may handle it a, a different way. And it may be that we we do the wrong thing, and for us to to avoid that, to avoid doing the wrong thing. I think it's hugely important that we pay attention to what the Founding Fathers were trying to teach us, including Mrs. Adams. 
And uh, let me read this section from this uh, letter from Mrs. Adams. This is on the last episode of the podcast, of course. This will sound very familiar to you. Quote, Yet we are told that all the misfortunes of Sparta were occasioned by their too great solicitude for the present tranquility, and by an excessive love of peace they neglected the means of making it sure and lasting. They ought to have reflected, says Publius, that there is nothing more desirable or advantageous than peace when founded in justice and honor. So there is nothing more shameful at the same time, more pernicious when attained by bad measures and purchased at the price of liberty, end quote. And I think to myself, in this day and age, do we see any examples where people are trying to purchase peace at the price of liberty? Like, like you know, when you think about what goes on in this world today, do you ever see a situation where people are being told or people are willingly surrendering their liberty for some kind of peace, and not just their own peace, but somebody else's peace. For example, it may be the case that somebody is not threatening your liberty, but they're threatening your neighbor's liberty. And your neighbor could be, it could be an actual neighbor, or it could be a neighboring country, a neighboring civilization, a neighboring culture. It could be a lot of things. When I, when I say neighbor, I don't mean literally the human being living next door, although that could be what it means. But that's, it's not limited to that particular scenario. But it could be the poss- possibility that your neighbor's liberty is under threat by some outside force. And you know that if your neighbor engages in some kind of a battle with that outside force, you might get caught in the crossfire. For example, if somebody, um, if, if your neighbor decides not to surrender outright and decides to engage in something resembling a firefight to defend their liberty and their house... It may be the case that a few bullets kind of cross over the street and they slam into your house, and you don't want that to happen. So your reaction is is to basically tell your neighbor to surrender. Just just surrender, for gosh sakes. Please don't fight. Please just surrender. Give up, because I don't want bullets coming across the street and disturbing my peace over here. Because my peace is more important than your liberty, after all. We all know that. I mean, everybody's peace is more important than somebody else's liberty. Isn't that correct? No. It's not correct, actually, at all. I don't think uh, I don't think it's wise to be telling other people to surrender their liberty so that we can have some peace, because Mrs. Adams here is telling us that that there's nothing more shameful than that. Again, quote, nothing more shameful. End quote. This is something to pay attention to, folks. And I mention it again because it's you know as much as things change, some things never change. There is, a, there is always going to be a group of people who just don't want to be bothered. And they will tell anybody and everybody to surrender, 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 and please surrender some more so that I don't have to be bothered by anything. Now, in that scenario that I give you where your neighbor is under threat, their liberty is under threat, and, you know, somebody has told them, oh, just go ahead and surrender because I don't want any, I don't want to catch any crossfire over here on my side of the street. What do you think's going to happen after your neighbor surrenders? Do you, do you think the wolf is going to pass by the door? And do you think they're not going to come knocking on your door at some point? Asking you to surrender? Is that what Mrs. Adams was talking about? Is that why she refers to it as, quote, nothing more shameful, end quote? Could be. It very well could be. And I, I'm very I'm very much aware of that, and I'm very I'm very cautious about asking other people to surrender their liberty. I really, really am. And you could take that to mean whatever you want it to mean in the context of this scenario, but it it, it you know, it, it is what Mrs. Adams said it was, you know, this uh, this concept of uh trading liberty for peace. I'll read it to you one more time, this this latter section of her paragraph. Quote There is nothing more desirable or advantageous than peace when founded in justice and honor. So there is nothing more shameful at the same time, more pernicious when attained by bad measures and purchased at the price of liberty, end quote. Please don't ever forget what Mrs. Adams was trying to communicate to you. Again, this is not my message. This is the message of Mrs. Adams. I put it in a modern context to frame it for you so you, you kind of get an idea as to what she's talking about. Sometimes it's, it's advantageous to come at this from a couple of different uh, scenarios or perspectives, but really telling the same story at the end of the day. I thought about that over the last few days. I really wanted to share that with you and make sure that you you had time to think about that as well. This is one of those moments where I say, pay attention. You know, I I said that a lot when we were studying the Declaration of Independence. There were a couple times where I stopped and I said, pay attention. This is one of those moments. Mrs. Adams has a really, really interesting uh, story to tell here. I really believe that. And we need to pay attention. 
We need to pay attention to that. Uh, we need to learn these lessons from history. So again, uh, the history of the founding is not lost, but also so that we can we can ma- we can have the benefit of their wisdom. We don't so we don't make the same mistakes that Sparta made. You don't want to go down that road. Mrs. Adams surely doesn't want you to go down that road. So just you know keep an eye on things. And when it looks sometimes when there's a fight coming, the right thing to do is to fight. I'm just putting that out there. And the founding fought. We're going to read about that here today. These next, this next set of letters that I'm going to cover in the next section of this episode is going to begin to talk about this. And you're going to find over the next number of episodes that the founding fathers were a group of people who were not afraid of the fight because they knew what they were fighting for, and that was their liberty. You do not ever surrender that, and you don't ever, ever ask your neighbor, be it the human being living across the street from you, or the country next door, you don't ask them to surrender their liberty so that you can live in peace. This has been done before. Does anybody remember Czechoslovakia in 1938? Does anybody remember that, the Sudetenland? Did Europe ask Czechoslovakia to surrender in order so that they could have some peace? What happened, ladies and gentlemen? What happened? Did Europe be, Was Europe able to retain its peace? No, it wasn't. Poland figured that out really fast in 1939. And Britain and France France figured it out real quick. And the Soviet Union figured it out real quick. Don't ask your neighbor to surrender. Don't do it. And I'm not going to get terribly specific about this, but because I don't want people to misconstrue what I'm saying here, and I don't want I don't want I don't want people to to I don't want to turn this into some kind of a, a very very political debate here. But I got I do have something in my mind when I say this, and it's probably not what you think it is. But it's not that dissimilar from the Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia in 1938. Think about that for a second. Sudetenland, Czechoslovakia, 1938. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and read about it because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drill down onto it in this podcast episode because that's not what this podcast is for. This podcast is for studying the what the founding fathers said and learning the lessons of what they told us. And buried in that example of Czechoslovakia in 1938 is what Mrs. Adams is talking about. Believe me, it is. It may not sound like it on the surface, but that is exactly what she's talking about. And it's it's one thing to, to sell out your own liberty for peace. And Mrs. Adams says, quote, there's not, nothing more shameful, end quote, about doing that, about selling out your own liberty. It's another thing entirely to ask somebody else to sell out their liberty so that you can have peace. That is even worse, in my opinion. That's much worse. That says to me that you're not willing to pay the price for that. You want somebody else to pay the price for you. Mm boy. Mm boy, do we have a problem there. I, I really hope that, um, I really hope I don't see 1938 happen all over again. I really do. And I really hope that Mrs. the sentiments of Mrs. Adams are well conveyed here. I really, really hope so. You know, I, I appreciate you bearing with me on this slight deviation on this episode um, so that we can really dwell on what Mrs. Adams was trying to say. And if any of you have any thoughts or feelings about what it is that I'm talking about, or you want me to elaborate on what I'm talking about, leave a review on the podcast and ask the question. And or go over to my Patreon website description, is it's in the description box to this podcast, and ask the question over there. And I may get into it, but you know that yeah, there's there there are this game is always out there. This game, this constant game of selling liberty for peace, it's always there. And there's that famous quote from Benjamin Franklin, you know, that well, I'm paraphrasing slightly, you know, those who uh, those who sell their liberty for peace deserve neither. I mean, wasn't Benjamin Franklin just really saying the same thing as Mrs. Adams here? They're both very brilliant people. Benjamin Franklin was a genius man, and Abigail Adams was an absolutely brilliant woman. Between the two of those people, do you think there's not a lesson to be learned here? What, listen to what I'm telling you. Because I believe that this this is super important. So with that said, we're going to get into some more letters today. And uh, I'll let you folks stew on that. If you want to pause the podcast right there and pick up with the rest of this in a few minutes after you've had time to stew on that, you can. Uh, that was some pretty heavy-weighted stuff that we don't usually add at the first section of this podcast. But I wanted to I wanted to do it because I felt like there was something to be said there. I didn't really have time on the last podcast to really get into it. And my thoughts on it had expanded since then. So without further delay, let's get into the, 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 the middle section of this podcast where we're going to get into some fresh letters and talk about this impending crisis that the Founding Fathers were, were beginning to walk into. Let's do that right now. All right. After that heavy beginning to this uh, podcast, again, I tell you, sometimes these, these lessons from John Adams, Mrs. Adams, all the rest of them are so very valuable to us today. That, I mean, it's like... 
it's like, you know, they 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 knew this stuff was going to come up again, so they, they wrote about it. And uh, they wanted us to learn the lessons, learn the lessons from what they experienced and from what Sparta experienced and all the rest of it. And thank you for that, Mrs. Adams. Thank you, Abigail Adams. All right, let's read a letter written to John Adams from William Tudor. That's a, that's a name we keep hearing. Uh, you know, it's come up a, a few times. I read that letter to you a few episodes ago. Um, it was written from John Adams to William Tudor in 1817, and th- this one is in 1774, August 29th, 1774. These, these guys wrote to each other a lot over the years. I mean, can you tell? Uh, they obviously had a lot to say to one another, and these are some great letters, by the way. The letters between these two guys, fantastic. I thoroughly enjoy them, and I hope you do, too. And if you do, you know, leave a review on the podcast, let me know, or go over to Patreon, let me know. I, uh, I appreciate any feedback that you have on that one. And this one was written uh, from Boston on August 29th, 1774. Let's talk about this. Quote, I wrote you 21st instant, which I hope you have received. To public prints of today, which you will doubtless see, have been so satisfactory in their accounts of the proceedings of people in different parts of the province as to render it unnecessary for me to write them. Everything here is driving fast to an important crisis. The governor, if report says true, is determined at all hazards to enforce the parliamentary edicts, and the people, on the other hand, are as firmly resolved they ever they never shall take place. Several of the mandamus men have already resigned, and it seems generally agreed to oblige them all to do so or force them to seek protection in the camp. Mr. Breck will be able to satisfy all your inquiries, and is of too communicative a disposition not to do it with pleasure. Our enemies now give out that it is impossible the Congress should agree, and the Tories, hardened wretches as they are, hope great things from your disunion of sentiments. It is the only hope they have left. May disappointment blast their traitorous witches. Wishes. Tully tell us. Hominis at Deus nulla reproprius accendant quam salutum hominibus dando. I wish all the members of the Grand American Senate may believe this as truly as I know yourself to do, and may it animate them to exertions that shall issue in our salvation. Should your honest, your great endeavors terminate in so glorious an event, there is no one who would join with more pleasure the exulting throng of your happy countrymen in hailing ye our saviors than your most obliged and obedient servant, William Tudor." End quote. This guy, you know, William Tudor, he sounds like he's he, he's pretty excited about what's going on. He he knows that Adams is on his way to Philadelphia to uh, meet at the Congress. And this Congress is a big, big deal. Can you tell? Mr. Uh, William Tudor thought it was a huge deal, clearly. He refers to it as the, quote, Grand American Senate, end quote. Now, why does he call it the Senate? Why does he say Grand American Senate instead of Congress? Well, he, in the preceding... Uh, line he had he had uh, given a Roman quote. Let me read it to you again. You probably were wondering what's what's Roman saying over here. Uh, well, I, I was speaking about a, a Roman quote, Latin quote. Quote: Tully tell us, hominis ad Deus nola reproprius accendant quam salutum hominibus dando. End quote. And forgive me if my Latin isn't what it used to be. I, I, I used to I used to speak Latin fluently. I'm just kidding. I didn't speak Latin fluently. My my Latin is is not only rusty it's practically non-existent but good news i looked up what this means and it and the translation is quote men resemble the gods in nothing so much as in doing good to their fellow creatures end quote now that's a nice sentiment to send but he he said it in latin isn't that interesting he didn't why didn't he just say that men resemble the gods in nothing so much as in doing good to their fellow creatures why didn't he just say that well i'll tell you why because both he and John Adams know what this means in Latin. It's a, As I understand it, it's a very famous Latin quote. And John Adams would have been aware of it. Why? Because he was, number one, he was a lawyer and trained in part in Latin. There's all, You'll notice today that in the law profession, there are all kinds of Latin phrases that still kind of hang around. I don't know why the law profession does that except to have an air of superiority about them. No offense to you lawyers out there. But... Uh, you know, you might have heard the term amicus curie, like if somebody files an amicus curie brief. I believe that means a friend of the court. You might get that from the, the term amicus. What does that sound like? It sounds like amicable, which means what? Friendly, right? Okay. So you get the idea. So these folks were trained in Latin to a certain degree and could recognize Latin. And they, they and actually, I know because I've read a lot of John Adams, he, he knew quite a bit of Latin, actually. And I think that comes from his study of 
uh, the ancient histories of, of Rome. Uh, he read quite a bit about Rome and about Greece, as we yeah, Mrs. Adams was talking about. We figured this out recently. This is what these people studied. This is the education of John Adams right here, and William Tudor, and Mrs. Adams. But he called it the Great American Senate instead of Congress because he's really harking back to a reference of ancient Rome and the Senate of Rome. That's the connection he's making here. Just like Mrs. Adams was making this analogy, this connection between the present situation in America and ancient Sparta, this man is making a connection between the present situation and ancient Rome. Isn't that interesting? Again, to understand today and tomorrow, we have to understand yesterday. That's what Mrs. Adams was trying to communicate to us. I firmly believe that, by the way. I believe that's what Mrs. Adams was trying to communicate to us, and I believe that's what Mr. William Tudor's trying to communicate that to communicate to us now, even if he doesn't realize it. So when I say to you folks that you have to understand yesterday to understand today, understand, I, I really believe this is, this is true. And everything that these people write between Mrs. Adams and William Tudor and John Adams, it really reinforces that. And I feel vindicated. I really feel vindicated in that. So if you have any friends, I've certainly known people in my time who absolutely do not study history at all. They do not understand history. But by gosh, they really feel like they have an opinion about what's going on today, don't they? Do you know anybody like that? I'll bet you do. That's why. That, that's another reason why I'm, I'm hugely critical of children participating in politics, by the way. there There is a phenomenon, especially in the modern world, it's almost like a children's crusade. Where the these kids, and I, by kids I mean honestly, if you're if you're under the age of 25 and you think you have an opinion about politics and what's going on in the world, probably best to keep your mouth shut for a few years and um and just listen and just pay attention and go back to your books and keep reading, like John Adams would do, like like Abigail Adams would do. Read read about Greece, read about Rome, read about 17 the 1770s, read about the Revolution, the founding, etc. Read about the Declaration of Independence, the Magna Carta, like we're studying on this podcast. And then after you've done that, then you can open your mouth. Until then, probably best to keep your mouth shut. And and I, I say that as a guy. I was very much into politics when I was a kid, uh, very much so more than anybody else. I remember when I was 16, I was, it's all I could talk about for like, I don't even know how long. I, you'd almost have to slap me to get me to shut up because I was all about politics. And I, I was the guy, you know, when I get out of high school at the end of the day, what did I turn to? I, I, I got back to my house, my parents' house, and what, I turned on the TV. And what did I turn to? The news channel. Why? Because that, I, that's what I did. I watched the business news first, and then I watched the political news after that. I was I was paying attention to the stock market and all the rest of it, watching business news. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, look how special I was. I'm saying that so that you know. I know what I'm talking about when I say when you're that young, you don't know what you're talking about. Because even back then, I thought I did. I really thought I knew what I was talking about when it came to politics. And if anybody in, anybody, you know, in my circle of people was going to know what they were talking about about politics at that age, it would be me. But I'm telling you, I didn't. The best thing for me to do at that particular time when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 was to shut up and listen. Because you have to study this history to know what you're talking about. You have to know what happened yesterday. And I was studying history. The problem is I hadn't been doing it for very long. I'd only been doing it for a few years at that point. It takes time. You really have to, 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 know the, to know about, like, what's he talking about when he says the American Senate? Why is he saying that? I know that because I, I know about Rome, and I know about the, the, I know about the Senate of Rome. And John Adams, by the way, wrote some very interesting things about the Senate of Rome. At some point, I'm going to try to get that into the podcast. It's, it's not in the letters. It's actually, it's in other things. But uh, I've read some very interesting stuff from John Adams about the Senate of Rome. And it, it's really, it really, it's very informative, especially about the modern day. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to bring that up at some point. I'm going to try to work that into a, a podcast episode. But So these folks were very aware of this kind of stuff from history, and rightfully so. They, they used it to inform their opinion about what was going on, and specifically about what uh, the governor of Massachusetts, that would be uh, the, the, that is the military governor of Massachusetts at the time, because they were under martial law, basically, was talking about. And this important crisis that he talks about here, quote, everything here is driving fast to an important crisis, end quote. William Tudor is very aware that something big is about to happen. And that's probably why he's talking about this, this, this history. Uh, he's hearkening back to the history of Rome and, and talking about the, the, quote, American Senate, end quote. Because, you know, he's, he, he's, he, he believes that what's about to happen is so big and consequential, 
it really does harken back to the, the days of ancient Rome in some respect. It carries that much weight, perhaps. Maybe that's why he's talking about it like that. Maybe. Because I've not seen William Tudor do that before. I've read a number of letters from William Tudor that predate this, and maybe I missed it, but I, I hadn't seen him do that before. And do you know why the Founding Fathers and, and this generation won their liberty? I don't know if anybody ever really thinks too much about that, because we just kind of regard it as a fait accompli. It happened. It's over with, so it's done. It was always going to happen. Well, you know, these people didn't see it that way because they were living in it at the time. But do you know why they won their liberty? And I think it's I, I really believe it's because they were ready for it. I mean, the tone in this guy's remarks really tells me they're ready. They are ready for it. Let's read this again. Quote, I wish all the members of the Grand American Senate may believe this as truly as I know yourself to do, and may it animate them to exertions that shall issue in our salvation. End quote. Salvation. That's a bit that's a that's a that's a big concept. You know, and and to show you that these people were ready for it, they were ready for their liberty, they were ready to fight for their liberty. Let's read this one section here. Quote The governor, if report says true, is determined at all hazards to enforce the parliamentary edicts, and the people, on the other hand, are as firmly resolved they never shall take place, end quote. So in other words, the people are saying, not on my watch, this ain't gonna happen. Huh-uh. You ain't doing it, buddy boy. Huh-uh. Not in this country. Not in Massachusetts. And they did refer to it as their country, by the way, in case you missed that in a few other letters that we read. Massachusetts was their country. Isn't that interesting? There's a lesson to be learned in just that, by the way. You remember, I, there was a number of episodes ago, you remember, I, I gave you that example of Alaska, uh, because it's, I, and I use Alaska because it's so far away, it's a painfully obvious example. Who do you think knows better how Alaska should be run? Alaska or Washington, D.C.? My best guess is, is the people of Alaska probably know better how to run Alaska than anybody in the lower 48. Just a guess, but I'm thinking that's probably accurate. Having lived there myself, it's an educated guess, and I'm thinking I'm right. Because Alaska is, it's not, it's not that far afield to say that Alaska is their country. Yes, I said it. Just like, uh, just like a John Adams would refer to Massachusetts as his country. That's come up a couple of times in these letters. I haven't dwelled on it very much, but it has. And this kind of, this kind of harkens back to that, that what Miss, Mrs. Adams said about, uh, selling, selling, selling liberty for peace. These people in Boston at the time are very much against that. Mrs. Adams was against it, and so's Mr. William Tudor. He says, quote, The people, on the other hand, are as firmly resolved they shall never take place, end quote. That is, these edicts that are coming out of the military governor from the uh, martial law state of Massachusetts at this point. And, and riddle me this, you know, if some dictate of a similar nature were to come out against the people of Massachusetts or wherever, like the intolerable acts. Let's say there were some intolerable acts that were passed, and it, it locked up the port of Boston, it shut down the General Assemblies of Massachusetts, and all the rest of it. Would the people of Boston today be so inclined to fight for their liberty as they were in 1774? I would hope so. But honestly, I don't know. I would hope so, though. I really do. Because what's the difference? Same thing. So there's a lot of there's a lot of food for thought in that particular letter, and I, I I really enjoy the man's passion for for the cause in that letter. It really comes through. He's 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 fully animated and fully committed to the success of the Congress. Although he articulates that there's a bunch of people who are not happy about the the Congress, and they hope that there's a division in the Congress and they can't do anything. I'll read that section to you again. Quote, Our enemies now give out that it is impossible the Congress should agree, and the Tories hardened wretches as they are, hope great things from your disunion of sentiments. It is the only hope they have left. May disappointment blast their traitorous wishes, end quote. You know, people who hate liberty, as the Tory, and the Tories were like the loyalists at the time, by the way, in case you're curious, who are the Tories? That's who they were. People who hate liberty and hate what, like, the Declaration of Independence was talking about, for example. They often try to stop that kind of thing from progressing by driving division in between the people who are trying to make it happen, right? So the Tories are, he's saying that the Tories are hoping for division in the Congress. Now, now tell me we don't face that same kind of situation today. Not, I'm not even saying in the Congress, but I'm just saying just generally. I think it's pretty safe to say that pretty much every country in the world faces this kind of problem at some point in the modern world. This is a recurring theme just about everywhere, and you got to watch out for it, otherwise you could become a victim of it. 
You know, just as the just as the Tories were hoping that the members of Congress back in 1774 would be a victim of this kind of disunion, there's there's a lot of people out there hoping that you fall victim to this kind of thing. Be very cautious about it. So, uh, Mr. Mr. Tudor is trying to warn us about something there, and uh, it's one of those warnings. It's like you know, you gotta you gotta like, okay, I'll, I'll watch for that, Mr. Tudor. I will keep an eye on that. Thank you for your thank you for your advice, and I I am I'm grateful for Mr. Tudor for pointing that out to us. I really am. So let's read this next letter here. Uh, this is a letter written to John Adams again from a Mr. Joseph Hawley in August of 1774. Quote, We must fight if we can't otherwise rid ourselves of British taxation, all revenues, and the constitutional form of government enacted for us by the British Parliament. It is evil against right utterly intolerable to every man who has any idea or feeling of, of right or liberty. It is easy to demonstrate that the Regulation Act will soon annihilate everything of value in the Charter introduce perfect despotism, and render the House of Representatives a mere form and ministerial engine. It is now or never that we must assert our liberty. Twenty years will make the number of Tories on this continent equal to the number of Whigs. They who shall be born will not have any idea of a free government, end quote. Well, goodness gracious, Mr. Hawley. Uh, that, that's, that's very brilliantly put. Isn't it? These guys were br brilliant writers back in the day. They really knew how to make a, a point and make it succinctly. Now, without any profanity, by the way. You ever notice that? Very difficult for somebody to make an argument in this day and age without using profanity, it seems. I, I marvel at that sometimes on podcasts that I listen to, the uh, the propensity for people to use profanity. I, I don't understand it. Uh, there's a reason why we don't do it here. Number one, I'm trying to respect the uh, the founding fathers and how they would have me do this podcast if, if they knew I was doing it. And also because it's a family-friendly podcast intended to be educational. But, I mean, you can make your point clear as a bell uh, using some very wonderful language, like, like Mr. Hawley here and, of course, Mr. Tudor who preceded him. But he says clearly, quote, we must fight, end quote. Boy, I tell you what, remember what I was saying in the first section of this podcast about, about people wanting to sell their neighbor's liberty for their own peace? I don't think Mr. Hawley would approve. Do you? I mean, what do you think? Do you think Mr. Hawley would approve of that? Quote, we must fight if we can't otherwise rid ourselves of British taxation, all revenues, and the constitution or form of government enacted for us by the British Parliament, end quote. I think Mr. Hawley probably be against selling anybody's liberty, let alone your neighbor's liberty, for peace. Like in 1938. Europe has a history of doing that, by the way. Europe has a long history, a long tried and true tradition of selling other people's liberty for their own peace, don't they? And no offense to anybody in Britain, but there, there is a tendency to do, and I'm not talking about all people in Britain, or Britain, I say Britain, Europe. Um, I'm not talking about all people in Europe, by the way. There's definitely some exceptions to that. The Czechoslovakians, for example, certainly didn't want to sell anybody's liberty, let alone their own for peace. They were kind of forced into it, uh, as were uh, as were some other folks um, as well. But th this has happened uh, a few times in, in British history, and it might be happening in modern times. Am I right? Or am I wrong? I'll, I'll leave it up to you to decide whether or not it's happening today or not. But um, I think Mr. Hawley, Mr. Hawley is ready for a fight, and not because he wants to. And he says, quote, We must fight if we can't otherwise rid ourselves of British taxation, end quote. He wants to try it the other way first. I think they all do, because they, these people aren't ignorant people. They know what a fight means. A fight means a, a big old fight. And the thing, you know what the thing I like about the Founding Fathers was? In order to stand up for liberty, these people were willing to get shot at. Shot at by people who knew what they were doing. The British soldier was the most accurate, skilled rifleman in the history of the world. And the Founding Fathers were willing to get shot at by them. George Washington was willing to stare down the barrel of thousands of British muskets at a time, getting shot at to stand up for liberty. Now, can you point to very many people at all? in leadership in the United States today, or, you know, if you're in another country, say, the Parliament of Great Britain, or wherever, how many of them are willing to get shot at by people who know what they're doing, professional soldiers? How many of them are willing to get shot at to stand up for their liberty? Not very many. I mean, a few. There's, there's always going to be a few, but probably not very many. Isn't that sad? That's probably, I mean, we probably, you know, I don't care what country you're living in, whether it's the United States, Great Britain, Poland, I could name a multitude of countries. I always, I'm always going to leave somebody out. France, Italy, Germany, Austria, Belgium, Japan, wherever. Taiwan, 
course, this might be an actual real thing in Taiwan, I think you probably ought to focus more on finding the Joseph Hawleys of society to be in leadership. The, in other words, the people who are willing to get shot at by professional soldiers in order to stand up for their liberty. Now, God forbid anything like that ever have to happen again. We, we all hope that the found, nobody has to go through what the Founding Fathers went through. These guys went through a really terrible situation for a number of years. They really did. You know, watching houses get burned to the ground, you know, people getting carted off by the British Army to be tortured on prison ships in New York. We talked about the prison ships, didn't we? Well, well I forget the number. What was it? 11,500 American uh, soldiers, sailors, and civilians tortured and murdered at the hands of the British Army. And yet today, it's all about selling liberty for peace. That's a that's quite a difference, isn't it, between Mr. Hawley and today? My goodness. Thank goodness for Mr. Hawley, by the way, to give us some perspective on this. I'm glad he's here for us. He's a good guest on the podcast. So when he's talking about these um, these dictates by the parliament, taxation, revenues, and the, the manipulation of the Constitution in this case, as he talks about it, there's an interesting line in here. Quote, it is evil against right utterly intolerable to every man who has any idea or feeling of right or liberty, end quote. It's evil. It's intolerable. That's why they called it the Intolerable Acts, by the way. But it's evil and intolerable uh, to every man who has any idea or feeling of right or liberty. I think part of the reason why so many people are willing to sell their liberty for peace or their neighbor's liberty for peace is because they have absolutely no feeling of right or liberty. Uh, they're missing what Mr. Hawley is pointing out to us here. Mr. Hawley's telling us something in this letter. you got to have a strong connection to this feeling of right and liberty. Right and liberty. What does that mean? Well, if you want to know what it means, just read more of the Founding Fathers or Good News. I make it easy for you. Keep listening to this podcast. There's a reason why I select these letters for you. This is where this is because this is the the real meat of what the founding fathers were talking about. You don't have to go track these letters down. I do that for you. And believe me, I suffer a great deal reading a bunch of letters far more boring than this one so that I can find the good ones to bring to you. I do that so that you don't have to. So uh, you're never this is never going to be an easier thing to do than it is right now on this podcast to study this material. It really it'll never be easier. This is as easy as it's ever going to get because, I'm, like I said, I'm doing it for you. And I'm happy to do it for you because I enjoy studying this stuff with you folks. I really do. Uh, it, gives me, uh, it gives me quite a bit of joy to be able to study this stuff with you folks. Because uh, I, I know that you folks largely get this and you understand where, where the Founding Fathers are coming from on this. And I think, I think we're of, a, of a, a similar mind, most of us. And for those of you who are new to this kind of material, I think you'll get there. Uh, listening to the Founding Fathers enough and listening to their arguments because they make a really good argument. Over time, you're going to hear the argument and you're going to really, really understand why Mr. Hawley says this. And um, if this is the first episode you're listening to, go back and listen to The Intolerable Act. So that, that, that one will get you going pretty good, too. Two episodes I had on that. So there's also this other line, fantastic. I mean, as far as, I mean, this guy is really on it right here. Uh, quote, it is now or never that we must assert our liberty, end quote. In other words, don't kick the can down the road. Isn't that another problem that we have today? Mr. Hawley's telling you, don't do that. Don't stop kicking the can down the road. And why do people kick the can down the road? Well, it's the same thing that Mrs. Adams was talking about on the last episode. It's trading liberty for peace. The only difference is, is you know, you kick the can down the road. It's basically just delaying the inevitable. And it's trying to avoid the fight without saying, I surrender, right? Instead of saying, I surrender, you just kind of kick the can down the road and hope to have the fight later. But of course, at the end of the day, that peace is probably going to be too tempting for some people, and it's going to make them want to go ahead and just make the trade. And uh, I certainly wouldn't want to do that, and I know a lot of listeners to this podcast certainly wouldn't want to do that either, because Mr. Mr. Hawley is right, absolutely right about this. And this line is very... This one is very, this is like a, a warning from history like any other that you're ever going to hear. Quote, they who shall be born will not have any idea of a free government, end quote. Isn't that sad? In other words, this man believes that if they don't assert their liberty now, that those who shall be born will not have any idea of a free government. These people knew that they weren't just fighting for their freedom. They were fighting for their children, their children's children, and their children's children's children, their liberty. They were certainly trying with no guarantee that it was going to work out. 
with no guarantee of exactly what kind of government would actually be formed up on the back end of this. I mean, this was so far down the road. All these people could hope for at this point was just keeping their liberty. Fighting the war hadn't even started yet. And once the war started, all they could hope for at that time was just surviving and winning the war, let alone forming up a, a, a specific government. And they, they kind of did it along the way, but as far as the Constitution is concerned, obviously they were quite a ways away from that. They didn't know how it was going to end up, but they were going to try. And they were going to do the best they could and create the best government they could at the time, and they did. They did the best they could with what they had, and they did a pretty good job of it. However incomplete it was at the time, they did they they got a pretty good start on it, better than most countries. I can tell you that much right now. I mean, at the, at the time this was at the time the Constitution was created, most people have no concept what the world looked like by, back then. I mean, Russia was still under the Czar. Most people in Russia were serfs, that is to say, they were slaves. The British people were not free by any by any modern definition of freedom and liberty. They were not. And most people were living under either a king, a monarch, a despot, or some kind of warlord. A republic with this kind of liberty w was a very rare thing. They talk about modeling the republic on Holland at the time. But outside of that, where were you going to find this kind of freedom and liberty? Not very many places. The world was a pretty dark place, all things considered, back during this particular time. Pretty dark. Let's continue on. Quote, it will, be, it will necessarily be a question whether the new government of this province shall be suffered to take place at all, or whether it shall be immediately withstood and resisted. A most important question this, I humbly conceive it not best forcibly or wholly to resist it immediately. There is not heat enough yet for battle. Constant and a sort of negative resistance of government will increase the heat and blow the fire. There is not military skill enough that is improving and must be encouraged and improved, but will daily increase. Fight we must finally, unless Britain retreats. End quote. So this guy is saying that, again, we're going to fight unless Britain retreats. We're not going to retreat. We're not going to sell our liberty for peace. We're not going to sell our neighbor's liberty for peace. We're going to fight unless Britain retreats. Europe, are you listening to me? I know we got some listeners in Europe, and I'm really happy about that, by the way. It, uh, it really, again, it does me a great honor to have folks in, in Europe listening to this podcast. It really does. Uh, and Because I, I know there's a lot of liberty-loving people in Europe. I, I really do. I, I'm not ignorant of the fact that a lot of liberty concepts originated in Europe. There's a reason why we talked about the Magna Carta. And the Founding Fathers, you know, with, with Montesquieu from France and, and other folks, you know, they, uh, they were very much well aware of this. There was a lot of really good liberty concepts that started in France and were carried across the Atlantic to the United States in the colonies. And then it, it, it bloomed into this Declaration of Independence and began to form something that was really unique and special in the United States. But yes, I asked the question, this line here, quote, fight we must finally unless Britain retreats, end quote. Europe, are you listening to me? And I'm not talking about Britain. This is obviously, this, this quote is from 1774. It would, be a, it would be a different enemy today. Don't ever, don't ever allow yourself to retreat and, and cede your freedom and your liberty to an aggressor. It's, Mr. Hawley here is, is saying to us, stand your ground until the aggressor retreats. And Britain was the aggressor here. They were the ones that signed the Intolerable Acts off in Parliament, shut down the Port of Boston, tore up the uh, General Assemblies, the legislatures, basically, and started mucking around with the commerce in Massachusetts at the time, the government, the judiciary, etc., etc., etc. They were the aggressor. Now, you might say, well, what about the Boston Tea Party? We talked about that. Yes, the Boston Tea Party was wrong. It was destruction of property. But to react with martial law and to tear up the charter, the colony of Massachusetts, and to shut commerce out of the port of Boston? Don't you think that's a bit harsh? Don't you think it would have been a little bit more reasonable to ask for compensation for the tea instead of declaring martial law? Now, if the colonists had continued doing that, throwing tea into the harbor, setting ships on fire, sinking ships, you know, setting the town ablaze, martial law, fine, knock yourself out, Britain. I think a lot of people in Boston probably would have said the same thing. Thank goodness there's martial law to save us from these savages. But that's not what was happening at the time. It was one thing, the Boston Tea Party, it was wrong, it was stupid, but the reaction of Great Britain was so insane that it got Mr. Hawley here all worked up into a froth, saying that fight we must finally unless Britain retreats. Absolutely, and I'm with Mr. Hawley on this, I really am. And here's another appearance, by the way, of the well-regulated militia. If you needed yet another appearance of the well-regulated militia, here it is, quote, 
There is not military skill enough. That is improving, and must be encouraged and improved, but will daily increase, end quote. There's not military skill enough. Okay. So what's he asking for here? That it is improving, and it must be encouraged and improved. So how are they going to do that? Military skill enough. Who, who's, who are they training for military skill? Who is that? Regular soldiers? No. Farmers. Farmers and townsfolk, just regular citizens. Now, how would you train people to military skill in the age of firearms amongst farmers and townsfolk? Oh, I, that's right. You have to give them guns. What he's talking about here is the creation of the, quote, well-regulated militia, end quote. That's what this is. That's what Mr. Hawley's talking about. Just like that George Washington scenario that we talked about a few episodes ago, episode 13, well-regulated militia. Mr. Hawley here is talking about exactly the same thing. If you want to know what the well-regulated militia is, this is it. It's about, quote, military skill, end quote. The people of Massachusetts, citizens, farmers, and townsfolk were supposed to acquire military skill. Uh-oh, that's not popular to say. But uh, it's just reality. And again, we talk about real history on this podcast, not fake history, not made-up history, not history the way my grandmother wants it to be, not history the way Sesame Street wants it to be, but real history that actually happened. Military skill, ladies and gentlemen. Military skill. How in the world can you have a well-regulated militia of farmers and townsfolk without military skill? Well, Mr. Hawley here is telling you that you can't. You have to have military skill. Why? To defend your liberty. That's why. From British soldiers or any other soldier that might come, knock on your door, and try to take what you have. I'll bet you, by the way, speaking of our listeners in Europe, they know what I'm talking about. Because that's happened to you folks, hasn't it? Didn't Germany try to do that to everybody once upon a time? Start going into other people's countries, knocking down doors, taking stuff that they weren't supposed to? That was an army that did that. And they did it to their own people, too, by the way. In case you're saying, well, that was an invading army, Roman, for Pete's sake, man. That was an invading army. It wasn't their own army. Well, yes, it was, because they did it to their own people in Germany. The soldiers did that. Just like the British soldiers in 1774 were doing it. And Mr. Hawley says we need some military skill. Yes, you do, Mr. Hawley. You're absolutely right. And every population of every people from the beginning of time all the way up to 2021 needs the same thing amongst its farmers and townsfolk. The same thing. It doesn't change. Again, a standing army in the British Empire was viewed as being dangerous to the people of Boston, Massachusetts, and Massachusetts in general, and the whole of the colonies. Especially in this situation here, when the government, the British Empire, began to overreach. And if you think that can't happen again, I'm for crying out loud, how many times does it have to happen throughout history before people finally get it that this can happen to just about anybody? And that's, uh, we're going to come back to this concept, of course, again. We have yet another episode that's going to be coming up in the not terribly distant future about the well-regulated militia, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting one. Let's, uh, finish off this letter from Mr. Hawley. There's a line here, just a single sentence, really, I want to read, kind of, uh, punctuates this a little bit. Quote, either an effectual non-consumption agreement or resistance of the new government will bring on hostilities very soon, end quote. So, and by the way, this resistance of the new government, why does he keep talking about this? He mentions it a couple of times, this um, government that they're, that they're fighting against. Uh, he mentions it in the first paragraph, quote, and the constitution or form of government enacted for us by the British Parliament, end quote. What, what is he talking? He's talking about the new military government of Massachusetts that was imposed upon them by the British Parliament under the Intolerable Acts. They have a military governor, effectively martial law. So he's talking about fighting against that, and he says basically here in this last sentence that if they do have an effectual non-consumption agreement, again, that's a non-importation or boycott of British goods. Remember that. If they have an effectual one, that is to say an, an actual one, one that actually works, or if they resist this new government, it will bring hostilities very soon. Now, why in the world would that happen? Why would a boycott of British goods and some resistance to this new government cause a problem? Why would it bring hostility? Not just a problem, hostilities. He's saying open fighting, probably shooting. Why would it bring that? Because it, it wouldn't be the colonists who would start shooting, right? It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the colonists should just resist the government and boycott British goods. He's not talking about the colonists shooting, so he's talking about the British will start shooting. Why would the British start shooting if they do these things? Well, there's a reason why. If there's one thing that the tyrant hates most, it's not being obeyed. 
and listened to. The tyrant must be obeyed. The reason why the tyrant demands compliance is because if you don't comply with the tyrant, it reminds the tyrant that he's wrong. And the tyrant cannot stand to be wrong. He has to always be right. Always. For somebody to be able to govern... you got to understand the psychology at work there. For somebody to be able to govern by dictate, as a fiat dictator, he has to believe that he's always right. The tyrant cannot stand to be disobeyed. Because he has to get full compliance, because he has to be obeyed, because he has to believe that he is right all the time. It's the only way he can live with himself. So when the tyrant doubles down and gets belligerent after a dictate is ignored, uh, a dictate that robs you of your commerce, your local assemblies and councils, your local judiciary, your courts, uh, such as the Intolerable Acts did, uh, that's a surefire sign that despotism, that is to say tyranny, is on the march. And Mr. Hawley is very aware of this, and he's warning hes warning us about that. He's telling us, you know, you know, King George isn't... If we don't knuckle under and just go along with these intolerable acts, the king is going to force a confrontation that we cannot ignore. And you know what? He's exactly right. In a few months' time, Mr. Hawley is going to be proved 100% accurate. And the king is going to force a confrontation. And people will be shot, and people will be killed. And that will be the beginning of this thing. All, and it all really starts and begins from the drunk-on-power tyrant stomping his feet like a petulant little child who has to get his way. The tyrant has to get his way. And a great many thousands of people will die before this thing is over. American liberty was purchased, you know, with a lot of blood and a lot of hard work. This, this stuff didn't come easy, folks. Don't take it for granted. And you know, my message to the folks of the United States also is, you know, don't let the rest of the world down. You know, the, the rest of the world, and not all of the world, obviously, but there's a good, there's a good number of people in the rest of the world who, who look at the United States, and they really would probably be quite saddened if the lives of these people like Mr. Hawley, and, and, the, and especially the folks who fought and died in the Revolutionary War, farmers and townsfolk mostly, if the, if the lives of those people were just flushed down the toilet... Nobody wants that. Well, I shouldn't say nobody wants. Some people do want that. But um, I, hopefully nobody within the sound of my voice uh, wants that. You know, we've got we to gotta honor what Mr. Hawley was talking about here. And we've got we've to we gotta be as good as Mr. Hawley. You know, and if the fight comes, quote, we must fight, end quote. And also, quote, it is now or never that we must assert our liberty, end quote. Can we at least do as good as Mr. Hawley? Can we at least do as good as these people of 76? I would hope so. Now, that's the uh, the end of the letters today. I am going to have a few concluding remarks in the next section of this podcast to wrap everything up. I certainly appreciate your patience with me and following along with me as we study this information together. Uh, I always appreciate your presence here on this podcast. And uh, let's, uh, let's, let's finish with some concluding remarks in the next section right now. All right. Well, I tell you what. You know, and the problem is... Uh, for, you know, on this topic of, you know, selling liberty for peace is, you know, you can do that for a while, but eventually the, those chickens are going to come home to roost and you're, you're not going to be at peace for very long. I think that's what Mrs. Adams and Mr. Hawley and the rest of them are really trying to communicate to us when they say we must fight. It's now or never uh, kind of things or, you know, it's the, the most shameful thing, this, that, and the other. All these words that we've gathered together from Hawley and Tudor and Adams it's all really talking about the same kind of thing. You know, you're, you're not doing anybody, including yourself, any favors by selling lib liberty for peace. You're just not. And it, this go-along-to-get-along attitude is really uh, a shameful enterprise, as Mrs., uh, Mrs. Adams would articulate it when she said, most nothing more shameful is what she said. That's the word she used, shameful. It is a shameful enterprise. It really truly is. And, I, you know, in the beginning of this, po this podcast episode, I mentioned 1938 and Czechoslovakia for a very good reason. That's exactly what that was. It was selling somebody else's liberty for peace. And it was a shameful enterprise. I think everybody realized that after the war was over. I think everybody kind of looked at that moment and said, never, we can't do that again. But then again, we find ourselves in 2021 now, don't we? Are we doing it again? Europe, are you listening to me? And by the way, you know, not to, not to leave anybody out here, United States of America, are you, are you listening to me? You know, another thing that's particularly shameful is when... A country asks another country to do something for them. 
Like, say the United States asked another country to do something for them, uh, something that the United States really wanted to get done. And that country went ahead and did that. They said, okay, yeah, we could do that for you, no problem. Uh, we want to be a team player. We're going we're gonna to actually go ahead and do something for you uh, to help you out, do you a solid. Okay, thank you. And then fast forward almost 30 years or so, and when that country needs you to do what you said you were going to do 30 years ago, like the United States said, you know, hey, could you please do this for us? Yes, we can, but, you know, we'd like you to do this for us as well. Okay, we can do that. Uh, then the United States says, yeah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I know we said we were going to do that 30 years ago, but we're not going to do it anymore. Isn't that a shameful enterprise, United States of America? Isn't that kind of a disgusting way to behave yourself? I'm just asking a question. But, um, so this is, and you know, I, sometimes I like to have fun with this podcast, and sometimes we do, and sometimes, you know, we just gotta, we gotta face reality. So when I, when I asked my, my, my friends, my, my fellow countrymen in the United States, this question of, you know, are, are you listening to what I'm saying when I, when I say, you know, if, if the United States makes promises in exchange for something, and it refuses to keep its promises, isn't that a disgusting thing to do? I mean, there. I mean, there are times when you, you might renege on something if there's something that's been done, certain agreements that get broken with certain countries. If the country is behaving dishonorably, whatever that may be. I mean, like in the United States in World War II, I talked about this on my Patreon podcast. You know, we had trade agreements, I'm sure, with Japan before World War II, and we were trading with Japan. Namely, uh, one of the big ticket items was oil, and then we reneged on that. We said, "No more, Japan. You're engaged in this war in China." We don't like it. You're expanding your empire in a brutal, horrific way. We don't like it, so we're cutting you off. And then Japan declared war on the United States of America as a result. But I think the United States was just just and, and righteous in cutting off Japan from its oil supply. I think that was the right thing to do. But not everything is like that. Sometimes the United States does these things and tries to sell somebody down the river for peace, selling liberty for peace, and it's disgusting and shameful. Just as Mrs. Adams said it was, there's nothing more shameful. And like I said, the, the lessons that the Founding Fathers have to teach us is very applicable to us today and always will be. You know, I could, I could keep doing this podcast for the next 30 years, and 30 years from now, it's still going to be applicable. We're still going to have lessons to learn. And again, to understand today, you must, you must understand yesterday. You can't understand what's going on today unless you understand Czechoslovakia in 1938. You can't. You may think you can, but you can't. Because that Czechoslovakia in 1938 was a big deal. That wasn't a small ticket item. There's a lot of small little niche items throughout history that you don't need to know about. But that's not one of them. And Boston, Massachusetts in 1774 was another big one. Just like Mr. Hawley was trying to tell us. And Mr. Tudor and Mrs. Adams. All three of them are lined up telling us, pay attention folks, Pay attention. This is real. Now, with that said, uh, I appreciate you folks bearing with me through the more serious uh, topics of discussion on this particular podcast. This is an adult conversation, by the way, that we're having here. This isn't uh, this isn't fun and games. This is uh, this is a real real conversation. Every once in a while, I joke or something about something like that. I'm not a comedian, though, as you may you may you may be able to tell. Uh, I'm an accountant by training, which makes me, uh, generally speaking, not a not a very exciting individual. Uh, and I'm also a history a history geek and a computer geek, so you can imagine. But you folks who stick with this podcast and the the core audience of this podcast are just you you folks are absolutely fantastic. And I will always speak volumes of of your quality uh, to anybody who asks me. And I and I do that because there's any other number of podcasts that you could be listening to, fancy podcasts with big budgets, laser light shows. Uh, celebrities stopping by to say hello, but and you may be listening to those podcasts, and that's perfectly fine. There's some good ones out there, believe me. But you're also listening to this podcast, you know, just a regular, just a podcast done by just some regular guy who's talking to you about what the founding fathers wanted to communicate to us because it's really important to us, and it really does affect our lives, and not just our lives, it affects the lives of everybody on the planet in some way, shape, or form, or another because these concepts, again, they're borderless concepts. And these, these concepts are applicable to everybody in the world. I don't care if you're in Kazakhstan or India or the United States. People are people. And liberty is liberty, after all. And the Declaration of Independence could be speaking of any group of people. 
And I really appreciate you folks coming along with me on the ride. Uh, I think this podcast episode is going to go long just like the last episode is. Again, I'm not trying to make a habit out of it. Of course, we're gonna that's going to change because our Thursday episodes are going to go to a much shorter uh, length of time. They're going to go down to about 20 to 30 minutes instead of the usual 40 minutes to an hour. And then, of course, our, our Monday episodes are going to maintain its their feature-length quality. And that's also going to free me up a little bit to spend a little bit more time on my Patreon podcast as well which is another responsibility that I have on top of uh, everything else. And again, if you haven't checked out the Patreon podcast yet, I certainly encourage you to do so. It is a subscription-based podcast. In other words, it's a revenue-generating podcast, unlike this one. This one is uh, this one just costs me money. It doesn't make me money, which is fine because it's uh, I have I have a lot of fun doing this one. Uh, but um, the other one is a revenue-generating podcast. So if you go over there and you say, subscription? What's this? I got to sign up for a subscription? Yeah, that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, there is a free episode available right now right over there right now for a preview in case you just want to check it out for free. You can. Patreon.com slash podcasts with Roman. Uh, always available over there for you folks. I try to create a good product over there just like I try to create a really good product here for you. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something out of this particular episode of the podcast. And if you if you do or you don't, leave me a review. I, I, love, I like constructive criticism as much as I do anything else. So if you think I was a little bit too harsh in this episode or you think I went a little bit too far, just let me know. Uh, and I'll, you know, take the advice accordingly and, and do what I will with it. Or if you want to leave uh, some suggestions, if you want to go over to Patreon and leave questions, suggestions over there, you certainly can. But that said, I really appreciate you joining me on this episode. I look forward to the next one, as always. And this is Roman signing off. Thank you. Thank you.